And this morning, as we move forward, <clears throat> getting ready for uh, September 7th, what we're calling the reboot. Once we start in September 7th, we're going to be going through the book of Titus. And I'm very excited about uh, that. I was at Mount Hermon this past summer and heard a uh, very nondescript, very uh, under-the-radar uh, preacher pastor by the name of Chip Ingram um, preach on the book of Titus. And his introduction to it was incredibly compelling. I've never looked at the book of Titus. I've always been instructed, uh, whether in seminary or other avenues, that it's a pastoral epistle and, and always looked at it from that, that standpoint. So this was refreshing, and I thought, this is, this is good. This is really good to start us out as a church, as a focal point, as we move forward in what he has for us. So, I have some dead space. I have two Sundays. And pastors love dead space. They're trying to figure out, all right, Lord, what do you want us to, to go over? And so I really believe that this message today is, is one of those that I have as five subjects we should always hit every single year. And, and the subject is faith today. And so let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord today. And uh, as we focus on this idea that God gave Noah a hammer, let's pray. Father, it is with an excited heart and a somewhat scrambled mind that I seek to communicate on your behalf these deeper truths. Lord, I will hit a wall. I will hit a barrier. So that's where I'm requesting that your spirit come in and speak to each heart that's in the room in a specific way related to what we're studying today. Let it inspire us. Let it move us. Let it take us to that next step that we need to grow in, in our estimation and understanding of you and life with you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. And our main text today is going to be verses 1 through 8. But we're going to be bouncing all through the chapter. And you'll see that momentarily. How many of you remember the uh, famous skit? Uh, I, I had it on a record, actually, back when we used to spin vinyl before it was cool. It just was all we had. And uh, uh, that famous Bill Cosby skit about Noah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so could you imagine yourself being out there in whatever wilderness he was in, and God shows up and gives you an epiphany. Now, this is during the time of the patriarchs, so there's not a whole lot of information we have, not a whole lot of interaction for the span of time. God, all we know is that God showed up and talked to the one person. If that doesn't grab your attention, I don't know what does. The one person he felt was worthy to save. So, fast forward to today. Because He has sent His Son to die for you, you also are an archetype of Noah. Because you are the one person that Christ came to save. He came for you. But just like Noah, He didn't just come to save you. He came to put a hammer in your hand. Could you imagine having this project thrown at you? 
You know, Noah, hey, I want you to build this giant boat. It's going to be cubit by cubit. If I was Noah, I don't even know if I knew what a cubit was. But I'm sure he did because God related that way. We don't have record of if there was a Lowe's, a Home Depot, uh, you know, a, a, a Meshuggah warehouse. We have no idea. But he did it. He did it. Are you catching that? He did it. Now, in my book, in my Bible, you guys know what I mean by that, right? The one I would write, the one that's convenient for me, the one that makes it. So in my book, God would have done the whole thing. You know, however he wants. If he could speak creation, he could just speak, boom, there's an ark. In my book, that's what would happen. Because are you kidding me? There's only like me and my three sons, and you want us to build this thing? There's no project manager? What's my budget? On and on. God didn't just speak the ark into existence. He put His will into effect through His man. And He said, Noah, I'm going to put a hammer in your hand. And you're going to participate in this with me. God has not changed on that level, my friends. And so when we look at this idea of faith out of Hebrews 11, understand this, that if you took every movie where there was a struggle and you just took the ending scene where everything's great and you erased everything else and you just had the ending scene where everything's great, right? Like the speech at the end of Saving Private Ryan. That's the whole movie. Just the speech in front of the tombstone. That's it. Does that movie mean anywhere close to what it means when you hear that speech having seen the whole struggle? Of course not. There's a reason that those moments of triumph mean something. And it's because of the journey and the tension and the difficulty within that journey. And this morning, that's what we're talking about. Because many of us struggle with the faith to do what Noah did. Let me read the passage real quickly, verses 1-8. through It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a story that's been told about 400 different ways because it's a fictional story. We can relate to it. How many of us have seen the the recent pictures of Folsom Reservoir, Folsom Dam, or a lake that's up in uh, Oroville where the the water levels are just 
way, way low. And so the way I heard this story is that that happened in Georgia a few years ago. And the state governor called for the communities to gather at the Capitol and come to pray at the Capitol for rain. It was really desperate. And so as everybody's gathering, as these great dignitaries and as these great pastors gathered and they were up on the podium for a time of prayer and they were ready to do what they were called to do, great men of faith, the governor stopped and paused because out before him in the throng of people, he saw one individual, it was a young girl, and he said, you, you come up and you pray. And see the one qualifying difference between this young girl and these great astute men of God, she brought an umbrella. That's faith. That's faith. As we move forward in our walk with Christ, there are so many times where, and, and as we move through this passage today, the author is going to show us individuals that have walked before us for a very specific purpose, that those lives would be testimonies to us so that we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened to walk as they walked, so that we would see how God works through them. A true story that happened up in Oregon, 1948, I believe. There was a fire and, and a, uh, a group of firemen uh, uh, were hella dropped. Uh, they parachuted into the ridgeline because it was inaccessible. There was 14 of them. And as they worked the line, they suddenly realized that the fire had shifted and was coming up the ridge at them and they had no escape route. So they all started to run up the ridge. And the eldest of, of the 14, an experienced veteran, told them to do something that sounded like insanity. And he said to them, you'll never make it. We need to stop and we need to set a control fire right here. And they thought, there's no way I'm stopping and letting that fire catch me. He continued to do what he instructed them. He set a control burn and burned out an area around him. All, even, all of them perished except him and one other. And the story comes back that had they just simply followed his leadership, even though everything inside them said, run, 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 they didn't have enough faith in the one who had run before them and understood what it takes to survive. For us today, we're going to hear stories of individuals that have run before us. For many of us today, I want you to think about how God has accomplished the impossible in, through, and around you. And who is that God? And how do we embolden our faith? And so we've got to ask several questions. You ready? Here we go. I think we're going. Here we go. I have faith this is going to work eventually. And it's a really good slide. I'm very excited about it. And it's coming up real soon. And so I will share with you, you can write this down, pull out your notes. There's notes in the sermon guide. And let me just share with you, you may notice if you flip those notes over, there's a whole new set of notes. Don't worry about those. You're going to see those for the next few weeks. These are warm-up notes for our life groups. So just so you can see how we'll be doing that and how we'll be um, going after that. I still can't do anything, Samuel. So I'm just going to move through this. I've got three questions for you. Number one, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 speaks to this. Faith is assurance and conviction. 
It says what in Hebrews 11.1? It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now the word faith in the Greek is this word pistis. And it's a general term. It's the one used the most. It, It can even mean my faithfulness to God. It's extremely general. But as we move through this, there are going to be specific usages that we're looking at. So number one, I want you to focus on these two ideas. Number one, assurance. Assurance. Assurance is this idea of of confidence, of security, of, of standing on a board and knowing that it will hold you. It is that kind of idea that he's trying to convey. Conviction is the idea to put to the test and to have survived. It's an active process. To put to the test and to have survived. Is that how you would describe your faith? Because that's the definition that the Bible gives. It is the assurance and conviction of things that we cannot see. Why is faith important? Well, Hebrews 11.6 speaks to this. It says that it pleases God. It pleases God. It draws us into experience with God that goes beyond just the normative. The process of us looking to simply get into the Word or spend time in prayer or spend time in church or go to Yosemite, whatever that would be. They train us in how to do this. Faith pleases God. You heard me give reference during the prayers about this idea that that Jesus was amazed at the faith of the centurion, right? He was amazed. Our faith is our response to God. Our faith is our response to God. So question, how does faith work? Well, Hebrews 11.7 speaks to it. Let's look at it real quickly. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet, what? Unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was challenged to move on something unseen. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't see it. He couldn't comprehend it. And yet God asked him, I want you to move on it. I want you to build it. I want you to make it because it will save you. You and I, my friends, are not far different. That is how faith works. We have to get up and we have to move. We have turned faith into a boring word sometimes. We've turned faith into a static word. My what? My faith. My faith represents my salvation. My salvation happened in a period of time, therefore it is static. Folks, we need to change it into a dynamic word in our life. Use faith in a dynamic presence and your life will open up incredibly and you will please God. But you have to pick up the hammer. I'm going to give you a breakdown of this word. You have it in your notes. We're going to take the word faith... And we're going to break it down into one, two, three, four, five simple words. And we're going to look at how that's played out in this chapter. Number one, fearless. The F in faith stands for fearless. To walk in faith is to step out of fear. To walk in faith is to step out of fear. Now, the fascinating thing that you'll see is multiple times. We've already heard in verse seven where Noah out of reverent what? What? 
reverent fear. This is a good fear. This is the respect given to God that is proper. The understanding that, you know, this is God. I need to do what He says. That fear is fine. That's not the fear He's talking about. But later on when we get into the passages that, that we'll look at here, actually go ahead and turn to uh, verse 27. And let's see if I... I still don't... We're done. It's, it's dead. Okay, can you control it at all? Okay, you control it. Pop, pop through them here. Here we go. We're going manual. Keep going. Just keep going. Maybe we got nothing. Folks, just so you know, we do test this before the service. We do. But Satan must not want you to uh, look at the screens. Just right here. We'll give it all to you right now. So turn to uh, verse 27 and we'll read that together. It says this, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's speaking about Moses. If you go up to verse 23, you'll see, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were what? Not afraid of the king's edict. My friends, In your spiritual walk, are you fearless? Max Lucado wrote a great book on this. It is called Fearless. It is fear that holds us back so often from walking in faith. I want you to pause for a moment and I want you to think about whatever that challenge was that God gave you. Maybe it was through a sermon. Maybe it was through uh, music. Maybe it was just through His interaction with you. And it made you hesitate. It made you hold back. It was too scary. It was too difficult to go there. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is exactly the message that we're seeing and that we're hearing about. My friends, this morning, if we want to walk in faith and we want to experience faith that will change our lives radically and the people around us, we have to be fearless. And if I focus on myself, I will be riddled with fear. You may or may not hear a story about that later at the end of the message. But if I focus on the one that gives me the power to do these things like build an ark or, or uh, continually uh, look at this idea that I will be given a child when I'm way too old to be given a child, like Sarah and Abraham, and on and on and on it goes. If I focus on that God, then my faith is limitless and it's fearless. I encourage you, I implore you, stop living in fear because it will destroy your faith. Number two is action. Let's see if I have anything here. All right, keep going. You can keep clicking there, Samuel. So I'm on action. To walk in faith is to engage for the Lord. To engage for the Lord. And let's look at 32 through 34 to understand this in a greater context. 32 says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Did you catch the action? I'll go over that in a minute. But let me reiterate to you this morning that faith is founded in action. 
How many of us are active in our faith? How many of us are even interested in being active in our faith? How many of us have had the blessing of being active in our faith? I look around and I see story after story of many of you living in that walk of faith. Praise God. Otherwise, Christianity would be boring. Very boring. But because of faith in our response to God's grace, it is a tremendous daily walk. Let me make my point real briefly. Let's go back to 32. It says in... Actually, let's go to 33. Watch this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies into flight. Span of two verses, that's nine steps of action. Do you catch what the writer's trying to emphasize? Folks, if we want to get this faith thing down, if we want to grow in it, we have to be people of action. In our daily processes. And be looking to see and depend on God's power, not our own power, but His power working through us. Third, inspired. We need to be inspired. To walk in faith is to live by the desire for something better. It is to what? To walk in faith is to live by the desire for something better. Do you desire that which is better? How many of you have gotten a different car because yours was horrible? How many of you have switched Major League Baseball teams because yours was horrible? I'm not talking about mine. I'm still in first place, buddy. Bring it. It's a message on faith. That's all I have to say. How many of us are missing the desire for something better? There have been men who have stood in a pulpit and said, you deserve nothing. That is true. In light of my my sin, in light of who I am in my natural man, but do you know that I have a citizenship? I have a membership in heaven that entitles me to so much more than what this life wants to give me. And I want that which is better. By the way, that is the main theme in the book of Hebrews. Better. That which is better. Some of us have given up. We don't believe we're worth better. That isn't Jesus' attitude, my friends. He came. He died. He sacrificed everything. And He continually advocates on your behalf. He continually seeks to give you inspiration. These faithful that walked before. Did you hear the names? Samson. Barak. You'll hear the name Daniel. Sarah. Abraham. And at a certain point in this chapter, he says, and there's so many others. I can't name them all. 
You're the others. Where's your desire? Look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Be inspired. One of the best ways that we can be inspired is simply by focusing and remembering what He has done. Focusing on the promises of God. Let's look at verses 8-10. through And put some, put some feet to this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of what? Promise. How many of you are aching to move to Barstow? Mojave! The distant cousin of Mojave, Fresno! Sorry. I'm so sorry. I had to say it. Folks, how many of you would say yes to moving to a place that you never got the brochure? We don't live that way anymore. When we got the opportunity to come here, man, I was on Google Earth. I was like sat mapping everything up here. I'm not going unless I know what, what I'm getting into. I didn't have the faith of Abraham. Why did Abraham do what he did? Because of a promise from God. When you focus on the promises of God, your desire swells. Your inspiration is full. And it will move you into action. It will move you into fearless, undaunted action. Focus on the promise like Abraham focused on the promise. Next. By the way, I've totally ditched that, so I don't, I don't know what you're seeing up there. I'm just going off my notes. So if there's anything you know, extra up there, enjoy it. <laughs> uh, the next one is trust. To walk in faith is to surrender yourself at a cost. What? Pastor, what are you talking about? What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's, let's look at it. What's the Scripture that I list there? 17 through 19, let's look. Verses 17 through 19 is another unique story about Abraham. It says this By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Stop. We just commended under the idea of inspiration. That what moved Abraham from his home country to be a vagabond and to travel under great difficulty into a place he never had a brochure for was the what? The what of God? The promises. Now he's thrust into an opportunity for trusting God at a huge cost. How many of us are ready to sacrifice our children? Now, we can do that metaphorically, right? Like we want to pray, okay, Lord God, you know, do what you want to do with my kids. Be their Lord, be their Savior, and don't let them be missionaries in Africa. Okay, no, okay, if you want to take them to Africa, that's your will. But if I serve you really well, don't make them go to Africa. That's about the extent of what we do. Can you imagine placing your son on an altar. And yet Abraham knew the promises of who God is. So much to the point while being tested to cost him 
everything. That which He lived for. That which He begged for. And seemingly God is about to take it from Him. And yet He knew God. So He trusted God. Even in the darkest moment. You see, trust has to come at a cost, doesn't it? When you think about trusting someone, it's easy to trust someone when they always come through for you. That's not trust. That's a guarantee. Trust is risk. Right? Trust is risk. That's what makes trust a beautiful thing. Trust comes at cost. You want to grow in your faith. You want your faith to open up your relationship with Christ. You have to trust. Because you're going to be asked to do things that don't make sense. You're going to be asked to pick up a hammer and you're going to say, I don't know how to use this. And God's going to say, I'll show you. You just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. Lastly, heaven. To walk in faith is to shape your actions, attitude, and altitude in the light of heaven. What do I mean by that? I'm not sure. So let's go back and see verses 13 through 16. And together we will figure out what on earth is this point talking about. These all died in faith, not having received the things what? Wow. This word keeps coming up in our exploration of faith. And it specifically says that these all died. And he's speaking about a group of people that sacrificed, that trusted, that were in action, that were inspired, that were fearless. And it says, what? End of story. They died and they didn't receive those promises. Ha! Talk about your twist. Talk about your plot going south. And it would be horrible if that's where it ended. But look at what it says. Therefore, I'm sorry. Um, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now here's the key verse. But as it is, they desire, there's that word again, a what? A better country. That is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he's prepared for them a city this is the ultimate thought that needs to permeate our mind what was what were the three uh a alliterations that i gave you here number one it needs to determine our actions heaven needs to determine our actions number two it needs to determine our attitude folks have you ever been on that situation maybe you have to hearken all the way back to when you were a kid going to disneyland and, and uh, you didn't get fed for the entire day on, on the way there. The, 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 the car ride was for 13 hours and your little brother took his socks off in the car. Or somebody threw up on the way and, and, uh, and you know, you had a festering ulcer at age five. And, but it didn't matter because you're going where? To Disneyland. Do you remember those days? <laughs> it's hard. I have to go way back. But I do. I know that there are things that can happen to me all throughout the day that I could care less how bad they get because I got something waiting coming up that I'm really excited about. Do you know my attitude, my life, my faith changes radically when heaven is the predominant thought of my day? It doesn't just shape my attitude, it doesn't just shape my actions, it shapes my altitude. 
And you want to talk about faith being lived out. It shapes your altitude, meaning this, that regardless of what circumstance befalls us, my friends, we can rise above it because of the hope of heaven. Those are some of the promises that we hear about over and over. And as it says that they didn't get those promises given to them here, they saw them from afar. And that was enough. Just to see the promises from afar was enough for them to trust, to be inspired, to take action, and to be fearless because of heaven. So what do we do here? Well, we're talking about this idea of multiply. That's just one idea, folks. How we live out our faith is manifested throughout the week in in many different ways. But I'm just going to choose this one idea of multiply. Let me ask this question. How are you practicing your faith? How are you practicing your faith? What are the things that if you were included in chapter 11 would be written about you? And today I encourage you, take those fears, throw them away. Take that inactivity, toss it aside. The doldrums of the commonality of life Rise above that. Find inspiration. Start trusting He who is worthy to be trusted and get a heavenly mindset. And you're going to see your practice of faith exponentially grow. Second question, how have you practiced your ministry of reconciliation? This is one of the biggest challenges we have in being fearless. It's one of the biggest challenges we have. And and I'm going to share something here in a moment that will demonstrate something that... um, I just lived that that holds a little bit of context to that question. But in this past week, did I share Christ with anybody personally? Two people. Last week, I had the blessed opportunity of seeing, I think, over 15 students come to Christ in first-time commitments. Did I want to speak twice a day on my vacation on a beautiful island with crystal blue water? No, I wanted to be on the beach just soaking it all up like the rest of my family. Would I trade what I did for anything in the world? Absolutely not. Because there's 15 that now experience faith. But that took a decision. That took a cost. That took me being fearless. High schoolers scare me now. Absolutely scare me. I'm petrified. And then they threw junior hires on top of that. That was worse. So what's your reward? Anybody remember Now and Laters? The candy? How many of you are big fans of Now and Later? How many of you ever had a crown pop off because of a Now and Later? And now you're no longer a fan of Now and Later. Now I'm at the dentist and later I'm going to pay for it. Now, if you act in faith, you experience fruit. Later, you get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Um, In light of our technical issues, I'm going to change some things up here and just share with you real briefly in closing. Last night, a lot of people wondered if I was going to talk about this. And I really wasn't 
But then some things happened that to me is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. So we had a baseball game last night. And we had more people than we've ever had go to the baseball game. Even Rich was there. I didn't, I didn't even get to say hi to you last night, Rich. And congratulations. Great win. He was batting fourth. And uh, so we oversold the event. So Sam had to pick up two extra tickets. For all that were there, you may have thought, Janine, I just didn't want to be with you. That wasn't the case. They oversold the event. And so we had two tickets somewhere else. And I just said, all right, Janine and I will do that. We'll sit somewhere. I didn't even know where they were. I knew they were in a section, but I didn't know where they were. And, uh, and so the end of the story is, I, I, I'm not going to separate somebody else from the group. So we'll just go down and, and we'll sit wherever this is. Well, it turned out it was right on the wall, the edge of the wall, about eight rows up from the field. I know, suffering, I'll take it, you know, the whole thing. So I believe it's somewhere in the fifth inning, my baseball hero, Mike Trout, steps up to the plate. And, you know, we had a little negotiated deal last night. I guess he's hit in five straight games at Oakland Coliseum, he's hit a home run. Last night he did not, and I gave him permission that as long as he would hit a foul ball to me, he didn't need to worry about the home run. And so, this morning, I pr- where is it? Oh, it's here. Okay. I proudly present to you the ball. The ball. That was caught. Now let me explain to you, and I'll, I'll just take a moment. I'll just take a moment, because it really was, it really was a spiritual event. Because Janine and I are sitting there, and we're in a throng of Oakland fans. There wasn't a red jersey or a red hat for, I kid you not, 100 feet, anywhere around us. And uh, so we're sitting there, we're trying to, you know, be careful and just enjoy the game. And, and um, he hits this foul ball, and it's coming towards us. And everything slowed down. Now, I'm going to share with you a very vulnerable moment. <laughs> I've spent 10 years going to spring training, and I always throw my son out there to get autographs that I keep. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. But it was my dream to, to get something from Mike Trout. That would be awesome. And as I see that ball coming towards us, I actually said in my heart, God, could you please make this ball come towards me? Just take a moment, prepare yourselves, live it. God bless the man who shaped that horrible stadium and put the bullpen where he did because the ball was not heading to me. It started to curve but it hit the bullpen pitching mound right as I finished my prayer and caromed under the divine providential hand of God towards me. Now, if you've ever seen the Matrix where everything stops, right? That moment happened. And Mike Redlick, who attends this church, who has managed our, our softball team, for years. He went to spring training with me several years ago, and we were sitting there watching the game, and all these guys kept missing, grabbing foul balls. And he told me, 
And these words were the next part of my process when time stood still. I heard, after my prayer, I heard Mike Redlick. (laughs) I kid you not. And Mike Redlick's words rang in my ears. You can never catch a foul ball with a bare hand because there's so much spin on it. So I don't know why these guys even tried. And I remembered those words. I'm like, no, 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 no. The worst thing possible is going to happen. He's going to come to me and I'm going to drop it in front of all these people. I will not live with myself if this happens. Next, dear God, if this ball comes to me supernaturally, I kid you not, I'm not lying. I'm not embellishing this story at all. God, please don't let me drop the ball. It's as if a hundred angels. Well, I don't know. It's as if a hundred angels took that ball. I leaned out over the railing ever so slightly. Slightly. And it just landed. And I heard a choir of angels as it went into my hand. And it's just laying there in my hand. And I, this is the greatest moment of my life, Jesus. And the, thing, the only thing I could think to do was to turn around and point to Sam. Say, thank you for these seats, Sam. He didn't know what I was saying. He thought I was mocking him. I don't know, but that was what was going through me. And then the next thing in my mind was, thank you, Jesus. And so I put my hands up like this. And, I, and it's like, Albert, pull. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I kid you not, the internet blew up with my face. I had people all over the state calling me. I was going to show this on the big screen, but this was on TV. (laughs) Me catching the ball. This was the moment where I heard the choirs of angels. Now here, my friends, is where your faith comes into action. This is where I had no idea what God would do in this moment. But He used it across the entire state of California and probably internationally. And this is the next thing captured on TV. Me praying. Thank you, Jesus. You never know. What a treat. That I was on TV praying. We now have a television ministry. (laughs) Folks, faith is fun. I kid you not. I told Janine, I thought if I drop this ball, you have to move to another state. I will not live. But seriously, I have, I, I literally was contacted by seven other Six other pastors, I don't want to embellish. Six other pastors saying, I saw this guy and he was praying on TV. Phenomenal. Guys, that's a great story, right? Remember I told you faith cannot be static. At no time in my mind did you hear the words, sit down and fold your arms because you may not catch that ball and you will be humiliated if you don't. I have this experience because without fear, well, there was a little fear, (laughs) but I overcame the fear because of prayer, literally. 
and reap the reward. I could have cared less. I was glad Oakland won last night because I wanted you guys to be happy. Don't worry, we'll win in the end. This morning, as we conclude our service, can I encourage you that our actions and our faithfulness before the Lord is a dynamic that's available every moment of every day. And it will change this church the more we walk in it, that we step in it. Get yourself written into the Hall of Fame. Get yourself some kind of legendary story for the cause of Christ. Because there is no greater joy than knowing that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will work through you. Let me pray. We'll have the men prepare the offering. And we'll close with a final song. Father, it is not about baseball. It is about the work of Your Son on the cross. It is about Your power and Your desire to glorify Yourself through us. And it is about us focusing on those promises and trusting and holding a heavenly mindset so that we see the fruit now And we rejoice in heaven with you later hearing those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you and you multiplied it. Father, bring glorious stories far beyond what I just shared. Stories of changed lives. Thank you, Lord. Use this offering to your glory and speak into the hearts of the people here. Encourage them to reach out and share the love of Christ. Amen.